everyone, and welcome to episode 146 of Fun With Cars. For a post-season, we're talking about the 2013 season update, extravaganza kind of a thingy. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And yes, it is just <laughs> nearly the very end of the year yeah. of 2013. So yeah, it's our sort of one of the last chances to do a postseason update. And we have a thing or two to talk about. Oh my god. I mean, news. they've just... The, the things that they are changing and how and then the drivers and all this kind of stuff, it's a bit chaotic. So we can go in roughly chronological order here um, since our last show. So, you know, if so you recall, um, in the last couple of shows, we've talked about, uh, you know, Kimi Raikkonen right stopped driving for Lotus and then later announced, okay, hey, going my to, back, you know, yeah, my I'm back, going to my back, my back. Then the whole question was who's going to fill in at Lotus. And we now know that, which is yes. Pastor Maldonado, which has actually happened. That was, you know, late November. It's been a month now yeah, since, it's been we've, a while. since we've known that. But uh, you and I haven't sort of publicly uh, hashed that out. So the big question, of course, was going to be, oh, Nico Hulkenberg, is this going to be his finally his big shot in the top car? And will the Lotus even be nope. a top car? <laughs> right. I mean, that's... <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Did I spoil it? Was it... Uh, yeah. N- n- the, I think the biggest single, when we talk about driving shifting, Nico, Nico Hulkenberg and his future and his fate is one of the big topics. But continue to summarize. Well... I mean, we can just we can dig into it. I mean, that's, oh, that's ooh, the thing. Ooh. All right, let's do that. Nico Hulkenberg is going to be driving for Force India again next year. And it's fascinating to me because I feel like Nico has very well solidified himself as a top talent within Formula One. But there is a talent that he does not possess, which is getting himself in the right place at the right time, talking to the right people to engage and uh, get the top teams to really look at him. And that is really difficult. That's a, that's a tough challenge to have, but that's where he lacks. Yeah. So, you know, when you're in traffic at a, like a you know, construction zone or whatever, and you're in the one lane and all of a sudden like the other lanes moving faster and then you switch lanes, all of a sudden your lane stops moving. I, I wonder if, you know, if, if Hulkenberg isn't doing that with, with teams, right? I mean, so he was, um, you know, he was a, he was a test driver um, for Williams in '09 when he was in GP2 when he won the GP2 championship. Uh, you know, 2010 then was it was it Williams, um, and then 2011 now uh, you know, was the uh, test driver for Force India, and then 2012 was you know was the driver for Force India. Force India came up with 63 points over the course of the season, and uh, which was good for 11th in the uh, championship, uh, which was you know not. Not terrible, you know, mid pack. That is very definition of mid pack, I guess, right in the middle. <laughs> uh, and then, and then at the end of the year, and this was, you know, at, especially after, especially in Brazil with his, you know, surprise pole position and all that, because right. it's wet, dry qualifying, it's kind of weird conditions, but still, you know, sort of like, you know, Hulkenberg was sort of back on people's radar. Then it was a surprise that he would switch to Sauber because it's sort of like, is that a step forward? You know, Force India is actually looking pretty strong right now. And then at the beginning of this, this year, um, with Sutil back at Force India, we saw a lot of good results out of, not a lot, but some good results and some more promise out of Force India. Right. And it was sort of like, oh, and Sauber, uh, I don't know, you know. Well, but here's the thing, and I, I said this, I remember very specifically, specifically saying this in our original podcast, that the move to Sauber was good for Hulkberg in the sense that he was desired by people and moving. Not necessarily that, oh, Sauber is going to have the faster car than Force India. However, of course, you want Sauber to have the faster car than Force India. But that was the key to it in my mind anyway. Now he's going back to Force India, I think largely because Force India, 
A, offered him a spot to go, and B, they've time and time again become a solid mid-pack poking towards the front team where Sauber, their volatility is more extreme. Right. Um, so, and we'll, we'll talk more about Sauber in a little bit, but uh, so the, the big thing, uh, the, the big crux of this, uh, you know, the Lotus and Hulkenberg relationship uh, was down to, you know, this, this money, it was money. Um, you know, and this, what was it, quantum investments and whatever, you know, this money coming through and, oh, yeah, we're doing Quantum bank physics in quantum investments that just weren't panning out. Yeah. It's, so tur- it's difficult. It's, it was weird, though. You know, as we were talking about in the last couple of shows, it was, uh, you know, the what we were being told is, oh, yeah, everything's in place. This is going to be fine. We're going to get this investment deal. It's going to be great. We're going to hire Hulkenberg. And the money is in the mail, and then, you know, we're sort of like... (laughs) It is the classic checks in the mail kind of situation. And then it just never, you know, there wasn't really a formal press release, and it kind of went quiet for a little while, and all of a sudden, you know, Pastor Maldonado signs for Lotus in 2014. So, you know, we're just going to have to see how that pans out, you know? I mean, we've talked about Maldonado in the past, but, uh, you know, has moments of, certainly moments of speed, and, you know, also moments of uh, very little speed, um, and... Yeah, <laughs> uh, some some crashy tendencies, but you know maybe they can rein that in and make that work. Well, um, I mean, what Maldonado brings is eight figures worth of cash, lots and lots of it, and he is a race winner. I mean, you have to give him credit where credits too. Right. He's incredibly inconsistent, and it seems to me what I've what I'm theorizing based on what I've seen is when people rein in him to get him. To get him consistent, he's slow. When he's really lets himself go and wants to be, he's fast, but then he can't. He can't necessarily be safe Not while he's crash. fast. Yeah. yeah. So it it it's it is possible that he will be able to combine those things together a little bit more and become a really solid driver um, with a couple more years of experience. And again, I I'm gonna sound like a broken record here, but. Pastor's ability to get money behind him that is loyal to him is proving to be a powerful asset in racing, even more so than talent, even at the Formula One level, yeah. because the money is such a big part of it. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think it. I absolutely feel sympathy for Nico Hulkenberg because he is a big talent. But at the same time, I feel it is important to give... Pastor Maldonado, some credit for having this situation. I think he deserves it. Cool. And you, and you, you think know, about his teammate. Action items. His teammate, uh, Roman Grosjean, you know, we could say similar things about him from a couple of years ago. Of, sure. Okay, he's talented and has moments of good, but then also had you know, some very poor starts and some famous crashes and a suspension and all that. Um, but, you know, especially at the end of this past season, um, he has now, you know, really shown himself to do quite well. So maybe we'll have a, uh, a really strong pairing for Lotus next year in, in Grosjean and Maldonado. I will say that... And that or it could be really crashy. <laughs> I, I will say that uh, the silly season and the driver changes that have happened between the end of 2013, gosh, even before the end of it, with you count Raikkonen just exiting is going to make this 2014 coupled with the new cars one of the most exciting preseasons we've ever had. I'm going to be quite keen to see what the preseason does because you're going to have to make all sorts of wild guesses as to the performance of the cars based on 
preseason testing times and the performance of the drivers based on preseason testing times. Right. And not even cars. And like engine quality and just engines, chassis. transmissions, I mean, tires, everything. you know, yeah, wings and, you know, ugly noses and craziness. Right. It's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. And we, I, Jim, I just had a great idea. Mm. We should podcast about it. We, I think we might actually. Why <laughs> Brilliant. I call that a winner. So the next, uh, next story that, uh, that came up after the Maldonado deal, um, was, the this FIA meeting um, where you know uh, so John Todd was was uh, sworn back in for another term as president of the FIA and all that there was hey. sort of a whole kerfuffle about uh, you know the the way their elections process was kind of weird and all that but anyway it, it came down and then and then once that was decided uh, a bunch of things uh, were confirmed by the FIA and you know just governing Formula One including they confirmed the calendar for next year yeah without New Jersey on it yeah so Grand Prix of America. I think is the name of that. Grand Prix of America. It is not a thing. Uh, not for 2014. And then, you know, Bernie Eccles said, oh, this is definitely going to happen maybe in 2015. But as things move forward, it's, you know, harder and harder to be uh, optimistic about that. And I'm still, I'm still staunchly supportive of that circuit. I, it has great potential. Yeah. Um, in also no Korea on the map next year, which we kind of knew, you know, wasn't confirmed, but now that is confirmed. That, that's, that's not going to happen. And that's, I don't think many people are... Um, are, are too upset about that. I although, still haven't, you know, although Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, Formula Grand Prix is, is kind of a thing. Jeep Grand Cherokee? Yeah, the safety car on the track, the like whole, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. whole thing. I still haven't oh, seen that race, by the way. That race, I, th- it was the best one of the season, I yeah. think. Well, I mean, I didn't see the first ones. I didn't see Australia or Malaysia. Meh, you know. Were you busy or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was bored. And I had to wash my hair. So... Of the races I saw, it was the best one. Yeah. Um, and then, but anyway, so that's not on. I think Korea is such an economic powerhouse these days, and there's so many people with, you know, that, you know, developers and big companies and people that want to, you know, find money and get, you know, make money on F1 and, and, you know, just get involved with motorsports and marketing and all that, that something I think will be happening in Korea, whether it's a street race in Seoul or there's more going on. You know, there's, there's so much going on in South Korea that I imagine we'll see something of a Korean Grand Prix that'll happen in the next four or five years, uh, but probably not that circuit out in Makpo, which was just kind of a weird spot out in the middle of nowhere and didn't really have the infrastructure around it and yeah, didn't seriously. develop some, into the thing that was Some photographers to were worried about getting snake bites. I know some of them got snake bites, I think is right. what it was, and they were venomous. And all the, you know, all the, all the journalists had to stay in the like brothels or whatever because there aren't like real hotels around there. So there's these like love hotels. But they oh, still so had there to... were some good things is what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. Hey. <laughs> hey um, Also not on the calendar for next year, the Mexican Grand Prix, um, which oh. as I always said. Oh, no, ma. Oh. <laughs> which I always said was a bit of was, was not a bit of it was a long shot um, with you know the, the condition of uh, the circuit in Mexico City and so on and just the infrastructure around it um, sort of the opposite of Korea where, the, where it's like out in the middle of nowhere and there's you know trend, you know transportation is difficult whatever this is like in the middle of one of the densest urban populations anywhere in the world yeah. and uh, has its own set of challenges but anyway that track uh, you know needs it's uh, just not up it's not ready for it as far as i'm concerned the fact that they're not going to mexico for grand prix racing is muy bien yeah well that would be a delicious taste of the race i mean i think we can all agree the mexican yeah, grand prix we'll totally make that happen anyway well fair <laughs> enough 
<laughs> any of the other races were like Malaysia. Eh, you want to get burritos? Okay, yeah, sure. You know, pinto bean. And Malaysian that's not really style. Mexican food anyway. But whatever. So I mean, I, I think it will be fun if if Mexico does come around and you know comes together. There are only a few circuits in Mexico that are really uh, to F1 quality. But there's you know in the rest it's interesting in South American stuff. There's they're really big into like touring cars and stuff. I've been watching a lot of uh, WTCC lately and so on. And there's some really sweet tracks in Argentina and in these other places. W at so is that world? Yeah. Okay. So where do they all where do they go? Dude, they're mean, all over the place. There's, you know, uh, China, uh, you know, Shanghai and Macau and Suzuka. Is, and... is it different enough from WEC to be relevant? Yeah, because it's like touring cars. It's like Chevy Cruises and Ford Focuses and Honda Civics and Ah, uh, okay. All that so kind it's of more stuff. that level of Yeah. Okay. Cuz um, when I think touring car, I instantly go like 80s touring car, which was like DTM back in the day stuff, yeah. you know, M3s and that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's M3s in there. There's there's good stuff in there. It's uh, there's some front drive for some rear drive. There's Audis and ah, BMWs. Okay. Anyway, so the point is, so so there's there's other interesting tracks in in you know Central and South America. Um, not so much really Central America, I guess, because there's a lot of very small countries and islands. But um, anyway, I think maybe you know it could be time for Mexico to uh, for some you know some billionaire or whatever <laughs> to uh, put together a really proper motorsports facility. And there is also you know the, the track in Mexico City is pancake flat. Um, but there are lots of really interesting mountainous and hilly regions in Mexico. I mean, it's, the whole thing is, is mountains and volcanoes and crazy stuff. There well, could and be I some really you, wild tracks. You don't need elevation for a great road course. Obviously, it's great when it's there. But Sebring uh, in Florida is pancake flat. Used to be an old a army really base. A really bumpy pancake. but A really <laughs> bumpy pancake. It's a fantastic circuit. It's amazing to drive. Yeah. And it's also great to watch. It's the width and the creativity of the corners. That makes it an interesting circuit, even though there's not elevation change to boot. Right. That's all I'm saying. Right. So anyway, I think eventually, and, and so it's sort of related to this, of course, is um, we're, we're losing um, the prominence of Mexican drivers in F1, right? With, uh, you know, Checo Perez at McLaren was like a big deal. Wow, it's one of the top teams and whatever. And hey. A, McLaren is no longer a top team. And B, you know, debatably, and B, Checo Perez no longer drives for them. And then right. also there's Esteban Gutierrez at Sauber, who is also now, uh, for now anyway, without a drive. And there's only a couple of spots left that he could potentially end up. And none of them are looking I mean, super there's likely. certainly top and mid-pack teams are so spoken for. All those seats are done. Right. So we're talking about back-of-the-grid type stuff. Right. Yeah. So, it, you know, it is what it is. But the elephant in the room, when it comes to FIA in 2014, <laughs> one of many elephants, <laughs> the, uh, the rules changes – and one of them being double points for the season finale. Yeah, so that's the one everyone has been latching onto and talking about because it is. Well, because it's ridiculous. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, one of the thing is is a is a uh, very serious budget cap starting in 2015, um, yeah. which I think that arguably could be the bigger deal. Um, but uh, long term, absolutely. Right. But so, we're talking about what's urgent, not what's right. about in, not what's important. So what's interesting is the way that these things uh, came about was because it was these. Uh, so there was double points. There was a budget cap. Driver numbers for life, like NASCAR, you know, right. which, which pff, whatever. Okay, you know, which which makes sense for you know buying you know team merchandise and stuff and sort of branding yourself with your number, which uh, you know is definitely a bigger thing in, in you know U.S. motorsport and so on. Um, but yeah, but I, the one thing that I don't think I'm sorry to butt in here. The one thing I don't think Formula One fully understands about the numbers for life thing is there is marketing genius behind and nascar may have just stumbled into that but there's marketing genius behind the way people really get married to their numbers and really live it 
And I'm not sure that's going to happen in Formula One just because of the culture of Formula One racing. I don't think it's going to be quite the same thing. I don't think it's going to have the same impact that they're hoping for. Well, I think they'll have the the option, right? I mean, you know, Fernando Alonso. And so anyway, so people have, drivers have started um, announcing some of it on Twitter and very informally, and some people are being kind of cagey about it. About, oh, I'm not going to say what my numbers are. I don't want other people to do it. But there's going to be, and it's, it's fun, though, that it's kind of happening in public, um, that the drivers will put out, like, their top three choices and say, I really want to be this number. If I can't, here's my second and third choice. Um, and then we'll see, you know, I guess it'll kind of in championship order if there's any collisions, you know, who gets what numbers. So we don't know what some of the top guys are, and, and I guess maybe, you know, uh, you can be one only if you most recently won the championship, but then that's not your number for life. So if like Vettel wanted to be one for next year, and then if he didn't win the championship, then maybe you have to pick another one. I don't know exactly how that's supposed to work. But uh, like, so Alonso, for example, you know, said he, his first choice is 14. And then you see, you know, there's some pictures people have been posting of him from his karting days back to being 14. And, you know, the, the, you know going up through the ranks, I know you've got a favorite number that you've yeah, used. 32. Back, back in the and day. it was a very successful go-kart I had. Right. And, and, and into some, you know, road course racing and various different things. You know, yeah. 32, it just, you do kind of live that. So I think drivers have uh, had, had that as part of their careers. And then that doesn't translate into Formula One or didn't until it will this year. So right. I think some people really may... Um, get behind it and sort of, you know, Alonzo, you know, from this year forward um, will, you know, could really kind of have that as part of his his brand and his image and so on and kind of how things are promoted around him. And for example, like Botas, um, Valtteri Botas is looking at having 77 um, and then you can spell, you know, B-O-7-7-A-S is like, you know, kind of this logo with the number built into it with his last name um, is sort of like, okay, he's somebody's thought about this and it's like, oh, that's cool. So if he's car 77, then he can kind of tie that in with his name. See, so, I'm going to see that. I'm going to read 77 BOs. Oh, yeah, that's well, terrible. I guess, I guess it's, it's more of a thinking man's uh, number. And oh, number yeah. Brand. See, definitely so, not for me. So I think some people will live it. And then some people, we may not really, you know, Daniel Kifat may not have like, oh, this is my brand and this is how people associate. Maybe he's just like, well, well he's I'm, 19. I'm I mean, that's... I'm going to drive and I'm going to have a number. I'm going to do okay. So anyway... Um, so I don't think you should be able to pick your number until you're at least 25. That's, <laughs> that's my rule. That's, that, is, that is the rule that Fun With Cars is going to declare upon FOM. Yeah. Like, make this the thing. If you're 19, your number is what we say it is. Um, do your homework. All these kids and their racing careers, just slow it down, would you? <laughs> Whippersnappers. So double points. Um, the proposal, well, it's, it's interesting. It's twofold. One is to switch um, Brazil and Abu Dhabi to make Abu Dhabi the season finale yeah, for next year. Right. And then also, oh, wait, yeah, wow, imagine if it were double points. Uh, then that would give the team something to work toward at the end of the year. Ugh. But what that means, if you, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can read that. It's, it's some people say, oh, it's sort of, it's not a winner-take-all because it's just winner-take-double points. Is, is that saying that, you know, the race um, is, is sort of, in terms of the championship, it's it's more valuable. It's double the value to win that one race, which right. is at Abu Dhabi, not the most exciting of races that and they what had at does Abu Dhabi. Every driver say every time something bad happens to them or something really good happens to them, it's just one race. All the races are the same. We just try to go out and do our job. Well, that's not true anymore, and it's just smacks of ridiculousness. And on top of that. What effect would it have had on the championship anyway? Right. Well, that, I mean, that's an interesting. Felipe Massa would have won. Right. Um, and I don't think Jensen Button's result would have been different. And I don't think any of Vettel's. Well, no. Well, no. Vettel's would have been the same too. Well, so Alonso would have won in 2010. Um, I think there was, was one where it would have been Alonso. Well, but um, Vettel won the last race of 2010. I mean, Vettel was behind. 
Vettelbaugh was behind going into the season finale. Yeah, and then, I should have had this pulled up in front of me. There was, we had Vettel was behind in 20, 2010 because, remember, that was when Weber and Alonso were also in contention. I think Vettel was actually third in the championship going into that final round. And, but because but he went on to win the race, he overcame his deficit. And remember, because Alonso ended up stuck behind uh, Vitaly Petrov right. and, um, and couldn't get past him, couldn't get the points because he was trying to cover Weber. And in doing so, let Vettel go and got screwed up that way. And so I don't think it would have changed. 2011, I don't remember enough of how close it was for Vettel. But, I mean, you know, Vettel's... Winning races is not Vettel's handicap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's it's just so simple and silly. And on top of that, we've had great thrilling championships without double the points. So this seems like well, uh, well, a, a yeah. solution in search of a problem. In yeah, you know, 2010 and 2011, you know, it was just crazy close. Uh, 09, 08, uh, we had these times when it really could, you know, could have gone one of several different ways, and it was down to not even just uh, the wins and the points, but how many second places and thirds and fourths and all this stuff. So then it was working, although then the last few years it hasn't been. Um, so yeah, like the last few years have been Vettel's championships. It's right. Vettel's era. So it, first of all, it wouldn't make much difference. Um, there would have been, you know, yeah, some like you know would have been Prost instead of Senna, um, you know, back in the day, and there's some some things like that. Um, <laughs> That's they've just been rubbing Prost the wrong way. For 25 years, right. and he finally convinced the right people. But, you know, that, that said, you know, there's been some, shall we say, controversial endings of races, uh, you know, uh, in, back in, in, the, in that era. And, you know, if, the, if it would have been for double points, then things could have happened differently. So even in some cases where you say, oh, it would have happened differently, it's like, well, if the stakes were different then, people would have behaved differently, you know, to, to you know, understanding the stakes at the time. So it, it, is, it, it does, I mean, to say that, like, a victory at Abu Dhabi is worth just as much as a victory at Spa and at Silverstone, you know, when you put it in those kind of terms, it's like, why? Why is it worth twice that much? It's just a race. It's just a track. It's not, you know, if it were like, okay, we're going to do the Nordschleife or something, and it's twice as long, and it's like you get double points for that, I'm like, cool, I'm on board for that. Well, if, you know, if, if, I'll and, tell you what. I have a solution that I would like. I think it would be a lot of fun, actually, is if you got some points, if you got points for winning, but then extra points that was um, con, uh, consummate with how big of a gap you won by. It's like, yeah. So if you win by a bigger gap, you win more points. But then you're increasing your chance of something breaking down. Because think about Rocky constantly telling Vettel, hey, you're fine, slow down. Hey, you're fine, slow down. Yeah. But what if it was like, well, you want to earn some more points, go for it. And then things broke down more often. Ah, ah. Yeah. Then Still it's- way better than double points is my point. Right, and it'd be it'd be tough to say you know uh, exactly how you'd implement that and and how because it'd be just a sliding scale for points or whatever. But you know, but so if you think okay, if there were a point for um, you know pole position or fastest of each session or something like that, that's a reason to you know not only for the top guys for Vettel or somebody in Q Q one to go out and set a time and go oh yeah I'm safe that's fine. But if it's like hey anybody could be fastest to that session, then maybe you you could have uh, some some random team you know that. You know, he doesn't have all the resources or whatever, but it could be, hey, you know, we put the right set of tires on and got got the timing right, and just this driver was able to nail a lap, and we got a point for, yeah. you know, for doing that. And obviously, you know, one point in the midfield can be a huge thing for them. So yeah. if it's a point for fastest lap somewhere in the race, that could be some, you know, late rate, late race pit stop to get fresh tires when the car's nice and light, and then, you know, that may change up some strategy things a little bit. Actually, could you know what exciting. I like? A point to get into Q2, two points to get into Q3, three points for pull. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so... Ooh, uh, and a point for the hottest girl. No, because what if... No, because that's not fair. That's not gender-specific, because if there, are there, I would fully encourage a proper uh, female Formula One driver. And then points for the hottest guy, that doesn't work. Right. Never mind. So... All right, I'm bailing on that But one. the point is, so, but, you know, if they're fastest laps, okay, general, maybe, maybe it would always be Vettel. But every once in a while, there are surprises when someone will, will do that. So anyway, if you change the incentives around, people will, will, will you know, kind of look to those incentives and try to act on them and, and get, get the most points as possible. Um, they, uh, one of the other introductions was an, a, a trophy for the most pole positions, um, which is a little bit silly because it's a, a trophy, and I guess trophies are great and all, but it's not actually points, and it's not actually, I don't know if there may be some money involved. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're a Formula One team, it's like, well, we won, we won 20,000 euros. Like, okay, great. You know, that's, that's one speeding violation from earlier in the season or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, so a trophy, that's all well and good. But, you know, people, you know, manufacturers want manufacturers constructors championships you know in a ferrari when you when you look in a ferrari road car there's a little plaque that's like ferrari world champions you know these years and it's got the little breakdown of all the years they were world champions it's like this company as a company is just very proud of the, of when they've won uh constructors championships and that hey we built the best car won the most got the most points in this season and that's awesome and I don't feel like, you know, anyone's going to have a little plaque in their car if you went and bought a McLaren or a Mercedes or a Ferrari or whatever. Right, it's like, right. we got a trophy one time because, yeah, you know, it's like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's this championship. It's the whole thing. So just to finish the conversation on double points, um, well, I guess we're not quite finished with it yet. But so 2013 wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been any change. 2012, it would have been Alonzo would have been champion over Vettel with 296 over 289 instead of losing by a few points. Um, oh, Button right, would have been third enough. instead of fifth, having won the final race. Um, 2011, 10, 9 um, would have uh, would have been no change. 2008, like we talked about, uh, Massa would have beat Hamilton to the title. Yep. Um, 2007, 2006, 2005, um, four. Because 2007, that was Raikkonen, and, and yeah, he, he won. won it in the final race by oh. winning the race, I believe. Right. Um, so 2006, and... no change. Alonso was second in the last race. Schumacher was only fourth. Winner Massa was too far behind. So whatever. Um, 2005, no change. Alonso won the last race. Um, 2004, Montoya won, but was only fifth in the standings. Would have been no change in 2004. Yeah, and, and I mean, 2000 through 2004, I would assume, I would assume well, Schumacher kept it. Well, Raikkonen would have beat Schumacher uh, to the title with 99 to 94 points um, in, in 03. And of course, the point—it's it's a bit of a silly game because the points and the you know the, the, the structure of points has changed in terms of how back how far back they pay out points and the, and all of that. Of course, so of course, it's a bit course. it's a bit wonky, but. Um, but then, so the point is, it's like a handful of times, but 2002, 1, 2000, 99, 98, 97, even with Villeneuve, um, 96, 95, 94, like no change um, until you go back to 84 um, with... Uh, uh, God, 84, was that, that was that, um, uh, oh, geez, come on, come on, uh, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Pathetic. So L.M. Prost would win the last race and take the championship from Lauda, 80 and a half versus Lauda, 78. Lauda was the person I was thinking of, Niki Lauda. And then, uh, yeah, 83, 82, you know, so anyway, so there's a handful of times over the years that it would have yeah. changed. But it's And 84, by the way, that's pretty much 30 years ago now, so right. that's, that's going back far enough. Right. And, but, <laughs> I mean, it's so like... the point is, uh, some intrepid com- commenter, uh, Mel Curion here on uh, f1fanatic.co.uk, has done every single year. So starting in 1950, um, you know, we can, every single year, you can break down exactly when it was. I tweeted this link a while ago, and I finally just found it. So the wow. point is, um, it's, a lot of people have said it's ludicrous. 
Um, the, the way it sort of skews the value of races, and you know, then it's sort of where do you draw that line? Should you say the last three races are all worth double, or should it be a sliding scale, or is the first race just, a, oh, this is just for fun, let's not do points here. I mean, it just really kind of changes the whole structure of value of kind of, you know, points ultimately are what everyone is fighting for, and that's the point of a championship, is not just to say, okay, one time I was brilliant, and everything came together, and I won a race, Pastor Malinato. <laughs> but I won enough times, and even when I didn't win, I was close enough to the top, and I always got results yeah. to get more points over the, you know, all these different tracks and all these different parts of the world and different conditions and all that. I mean, that's what a championship means, and, and that's what it's all about. And you know, in, in world endurance, for example, you know, Le Mans is worth a lot more points than the other races because it's 24 hours instead of six hours, and because it's this classic amazing race. It's like yes. this is a more valuable win, and you know, because it is a much more effort to uh, to to start the race to to complete the race at all let alone win it so like there are places where different points make sense and well, it just, and just doesn't not seem to mention, like one of those places not to mention Lamar's unique in terms of the, the size of the field right it's right. 55 sometimes 56 cars instead of what is the usual i mean probably more like 25 maybe 30 so right so anyway th- i think um i don't think it'll happen um it is technically a rule that's not something that's like to be voted on. This isn't a proposal like sprinklers on the track or shortcuts or one of these random Bernie Ecclestone things. I mean, this was decided on by the FIA, so it is technically in the rule book for next year. Um, but I think, um, and I, you know, I don't have a, any you know science or inside knowledge behind this, but uh, I, I just think the uh, you know it's going to be decided, and somehow you know with certain heads will prevail, and there'll be press conferences and various things. And they'll say, oh, yeah, we're actually, you know, we're looking at, you know, looking into different ways to doing this, but we're not going to, uh, um, you know, not going to continue with double points as, as a rule. So I think it's going to go away and this, none of this will actually matter. Um, so I'll be a little bit surprised um, if, uh, if it actually does come to the fact that, okay, we start the season and that rule is still in effect. We have a few months still for things to be announced and, and you know, uh, changes to be made and people to uh, have different appeals. Um, so... Right. That's, anyway, where I, I think it may uh, may no longer be a thing, but, but for hope, now it is a rule. I hope that you are right. And speaking of hoping in this off season, uh, I'm uh, the more renderings I've seen of what 2014 cars might look like, the sadder I get, uh, because there's just call it a finger nose or pick a different body part if you want to call it that. I can it, it the finger nose. It's, it's, is it a Vettel finger nose? Because I mean, that would this, not be. There's this requirement for super low noses, but then the way the aerodynamics want to do it, it's like. It's awkward. It's just super awkward looking nose. And I am, hope that these cars don't actually come out looking this way, but this could be um, far worse than stepped noses is this weird kind of droop finger nose or whatever. Um, and uh, anyway, so we're holding out hope that cooler heads and, uh, you know, different heads maybe prevail on the whole uh, double points idea. And they realize, you know what, that's kind of dumb. Uh, races are worth what they are, uh, but there's also value in maybe fast lap or maybe maybe other, uh, you know, qualifying or whatever. Yeah. Um, but... The, the, the noses, man, come on. Like, you know, I think Adrian Newey or somebody came out saying, you know, we need to consider aesthetics when writing these rules because, of course, any team that's competing to win wants to make a car that just works, you know, meets, meets the rules so it's fair um, or at least, you know, cleverly interprets the rules. Um, but to win, and if it's ugly, then that sucks, but it is what it is. So it's like, but for marketing and all that, you know, if they have these really ugly cars, uh, you know, people don't want that. And that's, that's you know, part of the uh, part of the point of these cars is they're really supposed to be cool-looking machines, and that's part of the whole marketing behind oh, it. Oh, so absolutely. I mean, that if, was a big thing. With the step noses, we had that big conversation about it multiple times. This is worse. This is... This a, is so bad. <laughs> so, yeah, it is a frustrating thing in that sense. Right. But, I mean, whatever. We're, we're, you know... We'll get used to it one way or the other because we not. tend to do that. 
Oh, but it's it's bad. I mean, so anyway, maybe the, there could be another season of awkward noses, um, and then maybe there'll be like there was the modesty panel thing for step noses. Maybe there will be okay, you know, the, the, this is how the heights have to work out, and then there's some other thing that make it at least fair so that everyone can make reasonable looking cars and still be competitive. Because nobody, I mean, somebody maybe wants to make you know a car that looks good but doesn't work well. That's that's not the priorities people have. You know, you want to win. That's the whole point. So anyway, um, here's hoping that uh, that that gets sorted out. Uh, but moving up the uh, the order here, yes. um, we're still just up to mid September, mid December. Sorry, <laughs> um, is that uh, Chaco Perez did find the job back at Force India, or not back at, but at Force India for the first time ever. You know, so jumped from Sauber to McLaren, uh, the whole he McLaren will be teammate and all that. with Mr. Hulkenberg. Right. So that does leave uh, Deresta um, right now with no place to go, um, and that also. Uh, uh, puts uh, Esteban Gutierrez in question as far as where he's going to end up. Uh, no, it doesn't. He's at uh, Sauber still. So, because there's this whole swap around with um, yeah. Sutil. Yeah, and that's what I was going to bring up, is yeah. Adrian Sutil uh, ha- was out of Formula 1 until 2013. Right. He was a- able to get back in, um, but he's getting to stay. He's managed to find a spot, find a way to stay. And it was interesting, because he was a little bit in and out. He wasn't Quite as consistent as I was hoping as I was hoping for, yeah, but he still showed that he's capable, and uh, I, I I like him as a driver, so i hope I hope he has a better season in 2014, continues to improve and gets to stay for a few more seasons. yeah, so he sort of traded places with Hulkenberg um, with this uh, you know <laughs> sauber uh, force India whole deal, and now um, you know this is this is like when uh, you know BMW and Sauber broke up, and I got all confused for a while. About, you know, <laughs> BMW and Williams breaking up, and I'm like, oh, Williams, not BMW, no, whatever. So, it, so it's Force India will be um, Checo Perez and um, uh, what's his <laughs> see this Nico is, Hulkenberg. This is the problem. Nico right? Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg, because because Sutil just like is Force India for me. He's never driven for anyone else, so you know he's right. either been there or a test driver, reserve world, or whatever it's been. But he's always been Force India. So the, getting my head around Sutil not being at Force India. Um, I'm, I'm not good at these things. So what do you think about uh, DeResta and the chances of him? I mean, it's a good chance he'll be out. Right, because the only drives right now unannounced are two at Caterham and one at Marussia. And that is it. And those are not even, you know, it would be generous to call either of them mid-pack. I mean, certainly. Well, like, neither yeah. of them have ever scored a point. So. Well, here's the thing. DeResta was quite uh, cocky about the fact that Hulkenberg got to move move around that he went to Sauber and not him. He's like, well, I think I should have gone to Sauber between the two of us. Um, and now it's, it's looking like he's not getting a ride at all. And he seems fairly like, eh, okay, it, it might not happen. There's this, there's this, uh, like essence of him just, just saying, conceding and saying, meh, okay, it is what it is. Makes me wonder if he's, lost interest in Formula 1 to a certain degree, or if he wants to come to the States and emulate his um, uncle, you know, I'm talking about Dario Franchitti, of course, right. who he himself is actually forcing forcing to retire because of his medical condition. He had a big crash in Houston late last year, and doctors have convinced him not to return to racing. Right. So I don't know if there's something along those lines where Duresta is coming to the States, or something like that, I, but or back eh. to DTM. I mean, yeah, there's who knows there's places he could go, but yeah, it's it's looking like, you know, the the F1 drives available are not 
you know, not the drives that, you know, someone like DeResta would want as a guy who's sort of already proven himself to be, uh, you know, capable and so on. I mean, could it be better to be uh, a reserve driver and try to, you know, play a longer game toward, you know, you know, to driving for Ferrari or something? I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? You know, what, kind of where that may, uh, where that may stand. But yeah, it's, especially as it's been now, you know, kind of a month since a lot of these other announcements came out and we've heard nothing from DeResta um, to, uh, to indicate where he might be next year. It's, you know, looking less likely like he may be even uh, sort of affiliated with Formula One, but uh, that's that's how it goes, man. It's it's crazy. You know, like we talked about, with sort of money is a big part of it, and then you know, there's only um, you know, there's only so many seats and uh, so many cars and and so on, and uh, you know, the way these things get uh, shaken around. But there's well, what know, do you think about Sutil retaining? Well, or going to Sauber? I mean, that dude's tall. Is the thing about Sutil? <laughs> you um, got to hold the steering wheel, dude. I did, and yeah, I stood next to him, and I'm like, that's just tall. That's a tall man. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's he's shown he's shown good pace. It's like it's 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 tough in a mid-pack car and a car where where in the way you know, and also it's partly it's the car been you know it's been the car this season and just the understanding of tires and what everyone's been able to do with uh, you know different temperatures and tires and safety and everything else. So it's hard to say um, you know this is the quality of this particular driver, and then I guess ultimately the best quality is how you can adapt to these weird changing conditions. So there's been times when Sutil has looked really really competitive, and times where it's like. You know, you don't even think about him for the course of the weekend because he starts somewhere in the middle and ends somewhere in the middle, and you don't really care, and he's not really, uh, you know, doing anything amazing. So, um, it's, I mean, it, I guess it's, you know, certainly good for him to uh, to maintain the drive. You know, it's, you wonder, um, you know, for Sauber, um, you know, just, I guess, they don't have, you know, they, 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 when they had Checo Perez and he was, you know, having some podiums and sort of giving Alonso a run for his money and so on, there was this big kind of excitement of like, oh, wow, you know, this is bringing Sauer back into the light. And then, of course, um, you know, Checo jumped over to McLaren, which is, you know, probably good for him uh, compared to being at Sauber. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's hard to sort of, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's, a, like, if there's diehard Sauber fans out there who are like, ah, Gutierrez and Sutil, yeah, this is great. You know, there's not the sort of the passion behind it right. uh, like there are, you know, some of these other teams. Um, but well, what do you think about uh, Perez going to Force India? I, I, to be totally honest, I think that's that level of team is a little bit more suited to where his skill level is. Right, and I imagine he, you know, looked down the, you know, the list of open seats and was his people were making phone calls and so on and sort of like as soon as he learned, it's like I'm not going to be in McLaren next year. He's like, ah, crap, let me find a drive, and that's you know the first person that answered that would, that would take it. You know, it's sort of like when you're in that situation. Um, for Perez, I think it would have been very, very difficult to if he, if he had to sit 2014 out to then get back in in 15, you know, because he hadn't really, you know, hadn't it has a veteran enough career to really sort of like, uh, you know, disappear and come back for a while um, and and do well. So I think that was sort of, you know, it's like oh, you know, he's got money attached with him um, through yep. through Mexico and Carlos Sim, Domit, and the whole thing. So I think uh, you know, obviously a deal was made, um, but. Uh, you know, yeah, that again, that car um, could be uh, on par to uh, to impress. I mean, you'd think Hulkenberg and Perez would be a pretty uh, pretty solid combination. So if that car is at least halfway decent and their understanding of the tires and the you know powertrains and the whole thing works, then you know we should see them, uh, you know, in top fives and challenging for podiums and things like that. But it's uh, there's so many variables changing at once; it's a little bit hard to know. Uh, kind of what's going on. So it's a you know whole new driver lineup for uh, 2014 for Force India. Yeah. Um... I'm going to be quite, quite curious how Kevin Magnuson uh, does for McLaren next year and Jensen Button to see how he gets on. He is, he is becoming one of the mature drivers. He's going to be, he's, I think, 
about a month younger than I am, something like that. He were very close in age. And that means that he's going to, you know, he's ancient. So right. where, yeah. where that, how much, how much more life he's got in McLaren and how much more he can prove in McLaren is going to be fascinating, especially when his teammate is 20. So there, there's a, there's a 14 year age gap between the two, basically. And uh, I'll be very interested to see how, um, uh, how youth uh, goes versus maturity in McLaren. And I'll be extremely curious to see how McLaren does in 2014 after what you can only call a disastrous 2013 for the, for the team. And I really hope there's an improvement because they're the team that in a lot of ways has the most momentum and excitement for 2015 because Honda's coming back and I hope they come back with a lot of fury. I'm, I'm really excited for that pairing to come back. Yeah, it should be good. Although, you know, I think we got similarly excited when there was going to be, you know, a Williams-Renault again. Like, oh, yeah, Williams car nah, and the Renault I car didn't train. I did that much, but okay. Well, somebody may have. I may have. But, you know, that didn't ever run anywhere, you know. And there was going to be, you know, Bruno Senna driving. Oh, Senna and Williams-Renault. Oh, this is magic. And uh, No, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> so, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Jensen Button is, yeah, right about a month younger than you. It's uh, birthday January 19th, 1980. So yep. he very soon will be turning 34. A month and a week. Yeah, something like that. Um, and but then we also have these uh, articles from Mercedes saying they they you know overachieved in 2013. And yeah. of course everyone's you know it's dumb. We're trying to try hard for next year. Of course everyone's trying hard for next year. That's you know that's a given. But um, one you know <laughs> if if Mercedes comes out next year and is like more like McLaren, where it's like every once in a while we get into Q3 and sometimes we're just nowhere in sight and whatever. And if they say oh yeah this is more about what we expected. You know, that would be a huge disappointment, you know, for Mercedes to come second, you know, to beat Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship was a huge deal yeah. uh, for them for this year when they're sort of like, you know, this will take time. We need to build it up. We can't expect amazing things right out of the gate. And then they kind of had amazing things right out of the gate. Um, we'll have to see kind of where, you know, how with the next level of developments, uh, how that moves forward for them. You'd like to think that... Um, that they would do better being the factory team, you know, with doing the engine, you know, powertrain development and, okay, we know everything there is to know about the curves and the transmission and the powertrain and the whole thing. But, um, you know, uh, uh, McLaren Mercedes has outperformed Mercedes Mercedes for so long a time that that whole, like, being the factory thing doesn't really seem to be um, really, you know, that a tangible asset. Um, and even, you know, uh, Force India well, with Mercedes I mean, power has, has outpro- uh, outperformed them several times. And, I mean, you can argue, if you want, that McLaren is itself a manufacturer now. They do build road cars. Right. They're much more limited production than Mercedes. But, you know, they are, they are working hard to become a long-term sustainable powerhouse. They want to be, you could say, the next Ferrari or the Ferrari of England or whatever you want. You know, we call it that. And... I think that that bodes well for uh, their chances of success in the future. Although, you know, Williams was a very successful team for a very long time. And, you know, in 2005, we're like, oh, okay, they're falling behind a little bit. And then in 2006, oh, okay, it's not getting better. It'll take a couple of seasons. And, and on and on and on. It's actually, if anything, gotten worse. So it'll be interesting to see if Williams is ever able to really turn it around. And uh, it's possible that this... That 2013 was the beginning of the end of McLaren. I'm definitely going to call that unlikely right now, but can't entirely rule it out. Now, aside from Kevin Magnuson, I think you and I will agree that he's kind of the most exciting rookie coming in for 2014. Who are you most excited about? Uh, I mean, I guess not necessarily as a rookie, but I'm 
eager to see uh, the pairing between Daniel Ricardo and uh, Sebastian Vettel, you know, in the Red Bull, right? That's the question you always say. Well, it's like, oh, what if this guy were in a really good car? It's like, well, assuming the Red Bull is still a good car, and it probably will be. Probably be pretty decent. How is that? You know, is is Vettel just, you know, head and shoulders above, you know, all, all the other drivers out there? Or will uh, will Ricardo keep him honest to some extent? Or to what extent, I guess, is really the question. So yeah. a rookie in that team, at least, um, that I think is, uh, we're, it, we're eagerly awaiting uh, seeing how that works. Um but otherwise, so for, for actual rookies, we've got, uh, yeah, Kevin Magnuson being brand new, uh, Daniel Kifat. And brand new and going McLaren. That, right. That's still, yeah. Right. And then, you know, uh, they, I mean, that's obviously, yeah, the highest placed guy is sort of the most interesting. Um, and we'll see it. You know, it's actually not confirmed who we're going to have um, at Kitterim Marusha. But um, I think, yeah, that's because it's in a top car. We've got so many people moving, but really it's just, uh, you know, since uh, Sergei Sorotkin at Sauber is now just their test driver and not the official driver-driver, um, he's not in the, uh, in, the, in the deal anymore. It's just um, just Kafat and uh, Magnussen for now. Um, we'll see. Uh, oh, is it only the two? Yeah. Oh, what about, uh, is Kovalainen, is he, because I know he was in the Lotus for a couple of races to uh, step in for Raikkonen. Has he got any sh- shot at getting back into the caterham, or is he going to be done again? Ah, uh, there's a shot, you know. Yeah, okay, if, but there's no, but, all right. you know, I mean, who knows, right? It's easy to speculate, and we can, t- you know, oh, there are rumors are this and that, but uh, the point is we don't know. Um, and, and even then, you know, it's it's not like, you know, when it's that far down the grid, it sort of, you know, matters so much less. You know, it's like, oh, Kovalainen fighting for the win. It's like, no, probably not. Well, Fighting yeah. for a spot in Q2. <laughs> it's just, it's, he's one of those guys It's really unfortunate. I mean, you know, in 2006, seven, when he was first storming into Formula One, because there was the race of the champions event mm-hmm. that he did really well in. Everyone was like, oh man, this guy's going to be a hot ticket. And sure enough, a year or two later, he got into Formula One. And he showed some promise in Renault and then got to McLaren and had a win. And but that was it. He just did not do well. He got owned compared to Lewis Hamilton, mm-hmm. and you know his career has just been kind of eh, so far. I mean, in Formula One terms, being a Formula One driver is remarkable success, right? And I have to ask, um, what do you think about uh, Mr. Lewis Hamilton? This was the future multi-champion Lewis Hamilton, and you know he's he's been in the sport for a fair amount of time now, and. Just based on your conversation, things you just said about Mercedes, I don't know. What do you think about his future? Um, I think it's I think it's good, man. I mean, he's he's you know he's not that old. He's only twenty eight. You know, <laughs> that's old. Um, and uh, and but the point, you know, he he hasn't had that you know a lot of time um, to get dialed in at um, Mercedes yet in terms of developing a new car and so on. So I think the idea is uh, for him to be. You know, as I think it's been talked about, you know, he felt like he's been driving someone else's car um, in the Mercedes. It was really sort of the Schumacher car, and he stepped into it. And, of course, there's, you know, obviously there's little things you can change or whatever. But as the next generation car is being designed, and he's been there this whole season, you know, the season before, while they've been developing the 14 car, um, the thinking is that this really could fit, you know, what he likes about the car and what he how he wants it to feel and work and so on with his feedback to uh, and simulators and all that. Um, I think it's... Uh, it, it's easy to, to be hopeful about um, about that working, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, who who gets the best powertrains? I mean, I think it's it, it, we could see that you know everybody you know the, the the few companies that are making new power plants uh, will uh, will all do it pretty well, and there won't be a huge difference between them. And probably you know if there are differences, they'll be ironed out. But uh, 
you know, just I think, you know, because McLaren has so much expertise in these control systems, I mean, keeping in mind that they've done um, as McLaren Electronics, the different uh, organization, yeah, but part they of McLaren. Did the factory control system. They did the factory control system, but they run, you know, Indy cars and, you know, and, and uh, endurance cars and all kinds of things. I mean, they do so much with, with controls and electronics and whatever. So I don't know if that really helps them or not. I mean, everybody's good at, good at electronics, but, um, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's easy to look at some things and get hopeful about. Um, you know, next year and the, the next few years of uh, the Hamilton McLaren or <laughs> Hamilton Mercedes um, <laughs> setup uh, working well. And, you know, I think the, the fact that they did come second in the championship will, um, will certainly be good for, you know, I guess the Mercedes and I guess technically it's the AMG Mercedes team. You know, they want to associate AMG with the, with the, Mercedes Patronus. Right. With the, the, Patronus, uh, Patronus is a title sponsor. Right. But with, you know, they want to associate it with the performance cars and so on. But um, the whole Mercedes and Ross Braun thing was a bit of a gamble anyway of like, you know, does Mercedes as the giant auto company that it is, do they really want to put their name on it? And, and for the first three years, you know, maybe not, you know, with, with, you know, sort of mixed results, even with, you know, world, amazing world champion, awesome sauce guy, Michael Schumacher. But now that they're like, oh, wait, we actually have some wins and we have some, uh, you know, you know, we beat Ferrari. I mean, that's, that's an accomplishment. And uh, sure. I think now that they may, you know, I doubt they're going to get double the budget from last year or anything, but they may, uh, you know, be able to keep moving things forward. And uh, so I, I think it's, I'm, I'm, I'm positive about all that. Uh, fair enough. Well, listen, you and I have talked plenty. There's a lot to talk about, but I think it's time to hear from our fans. All right, so it's been a while since the previous show, and uh, we've, we've got a lot of feedback and a lot of fun things, including one of uh, my most treasured pieces of Fun With Cars feedback. So you haven't even seen this yet, so th- this will be... Uh, uh, debuted for you. Uh, uh, yes. Our, our, our dear listener, Eleanor Taylor from Birmingham, UK, has sent us a special poem for fun with cars. Ooh. She says, something special I hope you'll love. Okay, well, let's, so, let's find out. sit back. Maybe you have your cup of tea. I am know, sitting back. Imagine yourself. My, uh, my in, cup of tea is here. In the holiday festive period. I would like a, a wood-burning fire. Well, I don't have that. Uh, I, can, uh, I can maybe come up with a laptop with a YouTube fire channel on it, but that's about as close <laughs> as it comes. YouTube fire channel. That's a thing, man. Dot net. All right, so from Eleanor, I will uh, recite this poem for you now. There once were two men, known as Warner and Lau, who talked of F1 and shared their know-how. By reading out poems and predicting who wins, they keep us informed of racing car things. From March to November, they spoke of F1, though in 2013, the F1 show was gone. Pre-season drama, Robin fell on his head, and if that weren't enough, Jim was laid up in bed. But the show must go on, and go on it did. More listeners than ever, the kilt had a kid. With his co-host abroad, Jim broadcast alone. Robin gave us a poem, which made poor Jim groan. The first half of the season was all mixed up. Then Tiregate came and put Red Bull on top. Predictions got boring. It was always the same. With that guy Vettel, first again and again. The season's now over, for which some will be glad. But it's just a few months, and we can stop being sad. Ricardo to Red Bull, Kevin Magnussen in. If only I knew some cool facts about him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thanks to the great host who put on this fab show and neil popham too for that app we all know may 2014 be full of intrigue and fun with excitement and even more poems to come oh 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 she said more poems to come i'm going to go ahead and assume that means from me i'd say more poems from eleanor taylor so thank you very much for that that is that is awesome for you to to put that together clearly putting a lot more work into this poem than robin has ever put into you know pretty much anything he's ever written what? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> uh, right. My poems take time. They're the, to, to come up with the essence and to, to have the right tone and aura to, to really build the radiance of the words 
That takes time, sir. The word radiance. Yeah, that's the part that the, the radiance. Yeah. 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 Hmm. That's that's what I mean. Okay. Entirely. Got it. Radiance means good, right? But sure. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. It was, it was very lovely to hear that. And what I love about it the most is that she asked for more poems from me. That, so that's the part that you heard. Great. <laughs> that's what, wait, that was a poem, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. I wish Robin would do more poems. Do, 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 do. <laughs> there was another one. I just came up with one. <laughs> Cannot face palm hard enough. So anyway, thank you, Eleanor, for that. That was very that was so. very nice. And uh, we've uh, yeah, we've got you know various people telling us uh, you know things we should talk about and whatever. But it was super cool to uh, check the inbox and uh, and have that from you. So we appreciate that. That was really cool. Yes, um, I'm I'm going to follow up with an email that we got that was uh, definitely not a poem, but said, "Hey, you guys have work to do." But he's trying to help. Um, this is from John Matthew. He, uh, he said, I've enjoyed your podcast this season. Here are some suggestions for your off-season podcast. All right, so he gave us three suggestions. We're going to hit this. We're going to boom, boom, boom. We're going to do all three right now. Favorite tracks. I think if you ask someone to name their favorite tracks, they would be the four from 1950 in some order, Monaco, Silverstone, Monza, and Spa. Are any of the newer tracks better? Go. No. Well, meh. Maybe I have a hard, I'm I'm a little bit nah, with mean, that one. They're so I mean like Monaco is just ludicrous. is a ridiculous place to put F1 cars, and that's what's so cool about it. Yes. So like in its way, Monaco is amazing. Right. That's not to say that you know if we were to find another street circuit in another city that there aren't other crazy tight twisty windy picturesque cities where there could be a cooler track, but like it I, well, hasn't happened. You exactly. Know? So in that area, it's like it's like. I, I just think, you know, Monaco is special, just partly because it's Monaco, just the track is what it is, well, but and also the history. I've got a joke answer and a real one, and I'll go with the real one first, which is Suzuka. That is definitely one of my favorite Formula One tracks right. out there, and that was not around in 1950. No, it's not one of the new ones, but it's newer. I mean, it definitely came in, I think, in the 70s, and I think it was the 80s, sorry, when it first came on, but that, to me, is a fantastic, phenomenal track, one of my favorites, and uh, I would put it above... Ooh, boy, this is hard to say, but I would put it above Silverstone. Yeah. I can't put it above Monza. Monza's my favorite. Spa is my second favorite. And, oh, my God, Spa is Spa. But Suzuka's way high for me. 1962, uh, the, the Suzuka was... Uh, oh, wow. That's was, older came, than I thought. Still, the... One of the, I also thought the Watkins Glen race was very cool. Um, and then... God, there's another one. Oh, uh, no. Well, the Paul Ricard track is actually ho-hum. But, anyway... But it looks neat with all the crazy paint on it and whatever. The and point is, though, that those four tracks that he named that were around 1950 are great tracks. There's no doubt about that. You know what I mean? Um, okay, topic number two. Expansion teams stink. F1 expanded in 2010 with three new teams. Since then, not one of those teams has scored a single point. Is it that hard to break into Formula One? Question mark. In sports ball, expansion teams can win, in all, win it all in a few years. Go. Yes, it is that hard to break into Formula One for now, but that's part of the budget cap um, and part of what should be interesting on that. I mean, it's it's hard to, at first glance, say, oh, we're going to spend less money and that's going to make the racing more exciting. But, um, and it's a really hard thing to, to police. I mean, that's where the budget caps usually fall down is exactly how you... Uh, you know, keep track of how money is spent and how much is spent on what and whether it's a performance-enhancing activity or not. But um, I think, um, I mean, clearly it is that hard. I don't think that, um, you know, the, you know, we, we can ask anyone at, at uh, you know, Hispania at HRT, um, 
you know, those were hardworking, smart people, oh, and it just USF one didn't work. I mean, phew, they right. didn't even get off the ground. And uh, you're exactly right. Everything you said. I mean, Formula One is absolutely a sport, and in sports ball, those teams actually can break in. But what do you need to break in? Um, to a new sport in sports ball and be successful. You need a great coach, you need, great, you need good facilities, and you need great players. All that stuff can be recruited fairly easily with money and you know, a good sales pitch, right? In Formula One, you need all those things, not necessarily the Fac- same name. Facilities is like a much bigger you know, yeah, kind of Yeah, not necessarily the in the same, but you also need brilliant, brilliant brains across the board. You need 100 Really fantastic engineers. You need top talent there, right? You, you need top talent and right. drivers. And you need tons and tons and tons of money. And it, it's not anywhere near as straightforward right. in Formula One in where that money's going to come from and where the value is for the people that would give the money. So and it's, partnerships uh, with companies. I mean, think about all the big, uh, you know, sort of dynasties of, of motorsport are, are it's not just one company but it's you know ferrari with shell and with bridgestone behind them and you yeah, know Renault with absolutely. elf and total and all these you know there's it's not just um it's not just okay this you know if you and i just dreamt up a car even if it was amazing um as as a, as a design there's so much more to it you know there's the mechanics there's the infrastructure behind it and then in some of these cases there are only a handful of companies in the world with the kind of facilities and capability to do certain things with carbon fiber and certain things with electronics and curves and various things and wheels and tires and so on yeah so it's like you know if you know if if i you know for, if i want to do something that only Shell can do, it's like, well, Shell's already tied up with Ferrari, so I can't just go to Shell and go like, hey, I've got some money. They're right. Like, oh, we've got contracts. And you know? finally, with the expansion teams, you need a grid. You need a nice full grid. So there is power in numbers for me, and it is very cool to see new and more different drivers come on and new and more different things happening with, um, with Formula One, and I think you get that by having, uh, having a larger team set. And you never know... You never know when new teams come and go all the time. We saw HRT go not long ago at all. Uh, Super Aguri, that's another one that uh, came and went uh, not long ago. There's going to be a new team that comes on one day. Maybe it'll be one of the three we got in 2010 or one of the two that are left. Maybe it'll be another new team. That will once again be brilliant. And we need a place for them to be able to foster and germinate and and become great. Yeah, and so... It does, you know. There, it, so, it, I would think more teams uh, rather than fewer is is a good way forward. I think the budget capping, um, if it goes to plan and kind of does what it what people intend it to do, which is big F, um, that that will be the right step forward. That there shouldn't be such a disparity between what Red Bull is able to do and what um, you know Caterham is able to do. Not to make the, not the hope that the, you know oh Red Bulls just have to suck now and, and the Caterham stay the same, but <laughs> that it'll be a more of a, a you know more of a, of a level playing field to uh, overuse that metaphor. Um, and and there has to be a place for also for the driving talent to start out. You know if there are only ten cars on the grid and ten seats, then the, what we were talking about earlier with um, with all the uh, you know there's only so many opportunities and there's a lot of world champions and you know since the cars are are safer and the technology and everything is, is is what it is. There's you know people can have longer racing careers and uh, and and so on. So it's like all those things should be continued and expanded upon. And I think it'd be cool if we had. Um, 
uh, you know, I don't know if, if 30 cars is too many. I mean, at what point? No. I mean, the, it's, no, it's not. You know, like you say, you know, Lamar with 56 cars, like that's pretty wild. There's different classes, and it's all different thing there. But, right. You know, you know, there's there's obviously there are some. Um, you know, logistical things, but you know, 26 was cool. I'd be back to 26 cars. I think that'd be that'd be sweet. And you know, it all it should take. You know, if any one of those teams, uh, any of the, the newcomers, if we call them, um, were to score a point, I would immediately put them top of that particular category. That could be the stepping stone that they'd need to make some more partnerships and get some more money involved and get the right, you know, media Absolutely. and various things to start them moving forward. So it's been a while since we've seen a team. Um, well, I don't know if it has. I mean, I think a Red Bull wasn't um, much of a team. I mean, it came out of Jaguar and came yeah. out of Stewart and whatever and Ford. But um, well, and and Stewart Grand Prix, they were only around for three seasons, but they had a race win. Yeah. And uh, when Jaguar took over as the team owner, they did not do as well. But they were a solid mid-pack, nipping at the doors in front uh, here and there. And then when Red Bull took over. They they really had the critical mass of income they needed to really get top talent going, and they were thinking uh, more <clears throat> outside the box hmm. um, on how to get the team done. So yeah, I and also finally I want to say this is a world championship in the most in the most real sense of any world championships out there. Uh, the number of countries they go to, the number of countries involved, and in where the money comes from, where the drivers come, everything. And we want to be continually be able to broaden that and make it as real, world-renowned as possible. And having more teams that uh, um, have connections to different nationalities, I think, is important. Finally, broadcasts have lots of room for improvement. The F1 broadcasts are disappointing. There can be two cars dicing for the lead. It could happen. And they'll cut away to show some pretty girl... Well, that's not all bad. Incidents can happen, and we have to wait for a replay that can show up at any time. The on-screen stats are limited, and we never see overhead track shots. Where's the blimp? I watch few NASCAR races, but they are covered much better. What do you think about that? Well, there wasn't really a question there. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, where's the blimp? Jim, where's the blimp? They have helicopters in Formula 1. They're yes, they're rare, helicopters, but, they're... but where's the blimp? Well, this, this, <laughs> that's a very specific question. Exactly. That's true. Um, so it, it's interesting because it's a difficult problem to solve because if you think about, okay, Formula One goes to, uh, what, 150 countries or something, you know, you couldn't have for every corner 150 cameramen there Why all not? trying to Why look. not? Why are you limiting yourself? That would be interesting, I guess. And where um, are the blimps? <laughs> or 150 blimps. That, that actually would be pretty sweet. That would be kind of, that would be more interesting watching the blimps because of, uh, puh, puh, they're bumping into each other that right was, now, That was by an way. excellent little... <laughs> simulation of what 150 blimps would look like. Aren't I an excellent blimp impersonator? So you can't have every individual. And, you know, of course, you know, Fox Sports 1, for example, here in the U.S., you know, they don't have the money um, to to send anyone. And, you know, NBC Sports and whatever, they don't have, they can't, you know, they can't do that. So it's like you have to have sort of something of a world feed. But if they were to make the world feed. I mean, that's what Will Buxton is. um, Right. But, you know, they're not not camera. I guess they have one camera guy and then the one on-air guy and then whatever producers that go there. But, you know, they can't have, you know, oh, there's guys out of the different tracks and unless something's happening right behind Will Buxton, you know, we don't get to see it and whatever. And even the camera guy, I think, goes to sleep during the race because we don't see Will. We just hear him. So it's, you know, it's... um, So it's a weird economic problem because, of course, the, the, uh, the channels that want to broadcast it... Um, you know, they pay a bajillions of dollars to Formula One. Um, so I guess if they didn't have to pay that and instead they were to spend those bajillions of dollars on doing their own coverage, that would be that would be different. And I think that's more how it works in NASCAR. You know, they have these deals where, you know, Fox will televise certain races and ESPN will do some and yeah. whatever, CBS. 
and and then they can sort of invest whatever they think is right into doing that. I don't know exactly how the money works, but right. um, uh, you know, uh, as we understand it, all the you know F1 just to sort of do anything officially affiliated with Formula One is just millions and millions of dollars and very, very detailed contracts about exactly how things are to be treated. Oh, yeah. And the pages get long. I mean, think about the multi-pages contract that we, we had to deal with just a few months ago in the most loosest possible way with and, Formula One. Right. We're just, yeah, two guys with a with a computer and some microphones. and had Well, to, to be fair, we have multiple computers. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> you know, and exactly, yeah. So it's like you can just tell the levels of bureaucracy and, and just the millions of dollars are moving around. But I agree. I mean, and, and I've seen in, in watching NASCAR races, there's been um, like real-time CFD, like visualizations of airflow around a car where it's like, okay, here's this car in the front and then this guy's in the draft. Hey, let's tell you what, when we're talking about the draft, here's what we mean. It has these like sweet overlay of like airflow and kind of simulating well, these things. we're getting thermal cameras and, like, and things like that. Thermal cameras? Come on. What is this, the 50s? <laughs> Did we lose a war? I know. No, no here's the thing though. I, I, I want to make sure that this is known. One thing that is a big advantage for NASCAR, and I truly believe this is true for even the trick camera footage you're discussing, NASCAR races, almost all of them, are in very enclosed, defined places. Right. Speedways, super speedways, half mile to two and a half mile ovals, okay? Talgadega is 2.66, but okay, you get my point. Um, so they have much more control on exactly where the cars are going to go, where the cars are going to go, where the action is, and on and on and on. Formula One doesn't have that luxury, and uh, NASCAR races are held in one country. So Formula One has a lot more logistics and a lot more bureaucracy to deal with, and I'm not trying to defend everything. I certainly agree that there's room for improvement. There's room for things to get better. I'm just saying it is a monumental task. It is, but there's so much money involved. It seems like they could solve it if they wanted to. So one of the things I think is interesting is if this will change or might change in the future, because you think about it, um, you know, talk about NASCAR and, and, you know, to a lesser extent IndyCar, but especially with sports ball, um, there are opportunities for fans of these other sports to get more involved than just, I'm going to watch this race when it comes on TV. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you follow hockey, you can subscribe to this game center and, you know, be able to watch all these, all these, all these hockey matches, you know, from your computer and watch it out of market. But why things. would you want to do that? I don't like, know. Like, why would you go does. somewhere warm just to watch people on Something that's cold. I right. don't get that. And you know, but but Major League Baseball has done this for a long time, and they make themselves available. It's like, hey, you pay whatever it is. Maybe it's you know, hundred bucks for the season or whatever it might be, and then you, as a fan, have better access than you know. The games are still on TV, so that normal people yeah. can see them. But hold on, that's dumb too. Some dude with a stick is trying to whack away some yarn. It's like, ooh, I'm a cat. Let's play cats. And it, it doesn't, no. I, no. I, and I besides, agree. cats like yarn. So that doesn't even make sense. But the point is, if that happened with racing, that would be cool. And I feel like that, I'm surprised that you know, F1 hasn't come around to that because if, if there were something that you know, they could, instead of getting um, you know, the, these millions of dollars from the broadcasting companies um, and then you know, they get limited information about who's watching where and what parts people like and, and various things, and they have very little control over uh, you know, what the broadcasters are saying and what the interviews are and so on. Um, I think you know, in terms of control freak Bernie Ecclestone, he would like to have a system where it's like everyone who wanted to watch it would you know, you'd get some amount for free for streaming or whatever, and then you'd pay for premium information. Sure, sure. We would pay. I would buy that. That'd be cool. And then um, if then I could have better access than just, you know, I turn it on when it's on TV when it's on, but if I could have, you know, more, more information and insight into it, you know, that might be the thing that really, um, you know, 
opens it up to different avenues because then they can see and people can have more real-time feedback. And if it's not just on a, TV, on a TV where you have one screen and one channel of audio, but if it's on computers and say, hey, if you're interested in this, you know, click over, you know, click this thing to see more information about when we talk about curves, what do you mean? Well, hit, click here and watch something about curves or yeah. whatever, you know, having more interactive features and different things. Um, I think that might make it more interesting because then, like we've talked about in the past, you wouldn't have to dumb everything down to you know, the simplest possible explanation of when I talk about tires, oh, those round black things on the corner. It's like, <laughs> hey, if you want to learn about tires, go learn about... So anyway, I think those things may change, but I, I agree it, it needs improvement. But the, you know, all the, all the teams right now, I, I, as I gather, get, or all the uh, broadcasters, get a world feed, right? So this is like yes. well, FOM is produces, true. this is what comes out of the race, and whether that's a pretty girl or showing a low speed, you know, a, a, a slow-mo corner coming around with tire damage or whatever. And, you know, in general, I think they do okay, but it's easy for us to notice when it goes wrong. And, uh, and it is frustrating that the broadcasters have to sit there and sort of like, oh, this is what we do. But it's also a pretty big task if they say, okay, we're going to send out, you know, 150 cameras simultaneously from all the different angles we have on the track and all the different, you know, you could uh, see pictures of 150 different girls. I mean, yeah, you can watch that. Uh, John uh, Matthew goes on to say, hope this helps. And in Canada, TSN stands for Toronto sports network, not the Tundra sports network. Thank you. Um, Oh, that's a shame. You know, cause Tundra raw Toronto, uh, CN tower, you know, uh, Toronto. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm actually okay with that. (laughs) <laughs> nice um so they've uh we've got another email from uh this yeah it goes back to november from luis silvestre in portugal um i went through the whole thing because he goes into a lot of depth about um world series by Renault results with kevin magnuson and the whole deal um who's the son of jan magnuson but uh he, he says you know mclaren's option and timing looks perfectly understandable to me aside from the fact that perez has proven to be quick in his first season with mclaren and maybe just maybe he was not supposed to beat his majesty the 2009 world champion quite a few times as he did uh, so he may have <laughs> ruffled some feathers by being uh, by being better than expected in some areas and not as good in others. Nah, but, I mean, um, I instantly I have to interrupt and say no because I mean you could have very much said that about Fernando Alonso and McLaren with Lewis Hamilton that clearly wasn't the case. But anyway, go on. Right. Um, and it says there are three drivers in F1 these days that I consider outstanding, clearly a few steps ahead of the rest: Alonso, Hamilton, and Vettel. Um, and then uh, he says in 2013 I added Grosjean to that restricted group. Driver who's been uh, wow. before in Renault. That's thinking quite highly of the um, He says he's watched him race a Ford GT and several FIA GT races, and his driving blew my mind. I had no doubts then if he would return to F1 in a fast car, he would show his true value. And uh, so in 2014, that group will have five drivers, um, including uh, Kevin Magnussen. So he thinks, and, and part of his, uh, his evidence was in, the, um, in this test, the postseason test, um, that Magnussen did top the time charts um, of all the, the young driver tests. So he was ahead of. Uh, Paul DiResta, uh, Antonio Felix da Costa, James Collado, Daniel Yucadella, I mean, a bunch of these guys um, that, uh, and Magnuson was on top um, and, you know, had the uh, just, you know, best time of all of them. So um, anyway, uh, thank you for the, uh, for the comments, Luis. And, uh, you know, we appreciate the feedback as always. Definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see the, the reason why people have evidence of one person versus another, because, it's hard to say, and you never really know until they're out there. I mean, think about um, Kamui Kobayashi. You know, he wasn't really on anyone's radar except for Toyota's. Obviously, they got him, and he did quite well in Toyota, and you know, managed to still do reasonably well in the Sauber. Not quite as impressive as Perez, but you know, solid job. And 
he didn't have any good results. He wasn't that good until he got into Formula One, proved that he could be pretty solid in Formula One car. So you never really know. Yeah, and you and I were there at uh, Indianapolis 2007 with Sebastian Vettel's uh, race debut. And what I remember most of all was how much more Vettel seemed to rely on traction control than other drivers because yes. traction control was a thing then. And most of the drivers would come through the corner and we're thinking, okay, this is a younger driver. He hasn't driven in F1 at a time when there wasn't traction control, as some of his other, some of the other drivers had, so it's sort of like, oh, this guy, you know, he's, he seems okay, he's really young, but probably next year when there's no traction control for 2008, uh, oh, he's probably not going to be any good because he's relying on these electronics. So it's easy to kind of look and at it. Become the youngest. He became the young, youngest race winner ever. Right. Uh, so <laughs> you know, uh, maybe that's you know, I'm just not very good at predicting things or whatever. But you know, the the point is sometimes it is very, uh, it, it's interesting, kind of what what you can sort of take away from, uh, you know, seeing someone and, and sort of understanding their driving style and kind of, uh, you know, how, how things, how things transpire, you know, it's, uh, it's just kind of crazy how things can turn out, but, uh, either way, uh, yeah, I think that battle kid, I think he's, uh, he's going to go someplace. <laughs> um, I, I want to give a quick shout out. I gave a little, um, Christmas, uh, hello on the Facebook page to everyone. It was, uh, late night, uh, Christmas Eve. So Christmas technically. And, uh, I, I had, was pleasantly surprised by all the responses I got, you know, right on Christmas Day. So a big thank you to the Kilt, Craig. Um, I'm sorry, Craig, uh, Neil Poppin, Juliet Collins, Paul Bryant, Ann Shaw, Dave Garcia, and Lori Jordan for taking the time on Christmas to write a comment. Very nice of them. Well, especially Lori Jordan, who took the time to uh, actually send us a physical card in the mail. So I did want to thank you on the show for that, Lori. That was very lovely to... Uh, Got a nice Christmas card from you, and uh, that did make it to us at uh, Fun with Cars Towers. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, always uh, listener feedback comes in many forms, and uh, when it is physical things, that is uh, very exciting for us as yes, well. Yes, yes. Okay, well, it was uh, great to go through that, but we must move on. It is time for predictions. Fun with Cars has some new YouTube videos up, and I'm listening to the coolest one I've ever seen ever. Which is um, sounds of a real, no uh, no nonsense Ferrari. It is the F12 Verlionetta. It is a V12. It makes 730 horsepower. It sounds phenomenal. And I recorded that myself when we turned it into a little video. And I just, ah, I had to chair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so of those of us, uh, those of you who have been following uh, more than just listening to the podcasts, will have seen that uh, we have expanded our general fun with cars coverage, and that was yes. sort of part of the point of uh, when we changed our name. And people said, "You're crazy! Why is the fun Formula One podcast called Fun with Cars and whatever?" But I mean, our whole you know ideas from the from from way back in the day um, have been to. Uh, just bring all kinds of interesting content about things that are fun involving cars. Yeah. Um, Jim and I are, are, are very lucky individuals. And for a little while it was just Jim. But now it again is both of us. We, we, have, we both have day jobs that lets us do exactly what the name says, have fun with cars. And uh, part of the purpose of this whole thing we do is to be able to share that. And our biggest love is motor racing. And obviously in that, the biggest love in there is Formula One, obviously. Um, we both have a strong love of the World Endurance Championship and some other forms. But really, just anything cars gets us going. Right. And and we also have, uh, as, as previously mentioned, some microphones and some computers. So every once in a while, yeah, we can put together uh, and some cameras as well. So yes. um, from things that are F1 related, but also things that aren't um, to, uh, you know, when we have access to cool cars or racetracks or technology or whatever that's uh, 
you know, we think is interesting and we think people might like. Uh, we like to put together videos and blog posts and various things. So um, it's a little bit different than uh, what you may expect from uh, if you only follow us for F1 podcasting. And, uh, you know, the... I would say stay tuned if all you like is, you know, to the podcast. If all you care about is Formula One, that's fine. That's, you know, stays what it is. But as far as our website, um, if you've got, you know, any other, you know, kind of friends or family, various people that are interested in, uh, you know, kind of motorsport stuff and track day and enthusiast driving and neat cars and whatever, then, uh, you know, check us out at uh, funwithcars.com. And uh, it's, you know, the podcast is, is still uh, a core part of that. Um, but also we're posting a lot more of what uh, Robin's working with, uh, with his, for his day job with uh, writing stories and working yes. on articles for Road and Track magazine. Yes. And uh, I occasionally have access to uh, interesting things as well through, uh, through my job and so on. So Occasionally. Jim, you get in some cool stuff and you do some cool things. The 24 hours of, was it 24 hours of Dubai? Or, yeah. Or, yeah. That was, that was epic. And I'm still jealous of that huge watch. <laughs> it's a big watch. That's that's true. From a class victory, which I can't really take any personal credit for because oh, sure I was just can. tech support. But either way, uh, I was there, and it was 24 hours, and I was awake for most of it. So well, know. there you go. Yeah, and yeah. So please, please, please um, check out it's uh, it's uh, YouTube.com/slash/fwcars or I think and uh, or if you go to funwithcars.com, we have our little YouTube link right there, and we have um, some new videos up. That, as Jim said, they're not strictly Formula One, but they are um, cars moving related, which I think, you know, to me, it's all encompassing. It's all great. Yeah, so definitely check it out. And um, as always, uh, we uh, welcome your feedback. You can email feedback at funwithcars.com. Um, you can also click uh, right on our page. You can reply to uh, our shows and post comments there. And there is, of course, the Facebook uh, page and Twitter stream and various other things. So you'll find links to all that fun stuff. But uh, we, as always, we thank you for listening. Thanks for keeping in touch with us in this off season. Uh, we'll probably have another show for you before the, uh, you know, before the lights go out in Australia. Definitely. I, I mean, well, definitely. Definitely. Is <laughs> Never a say definitely. Word. But uh, I certainly hope to, and I, I, I'm seriously very excited to see how this preseason goes. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, 24 hours uh, Daytona. Um, Rolex 24, I should say, yes. which is the first race of the United Sports Car Championship here in the U.S. The Brought combination, by yep, the combination of American Le Mans and Grand Am and whatever. So you know, there's there's all kinds of fun stuff. We'll definitely be in touch uh, with things on online on the Facebook page and so on. Um, we'll see exactly when the uh, when the podcasts come out. But uh, either way, uh, should be plenty of fun stuff to do in the off season. And uh, I hope everyone's having a nice holiday period. And uh, we wish all of you a uh, very happy New Year as oh, well. Oh, very much so. Yes, 2013 proved to have a um, couple of bumps in the road for Jim and I, but uh, we, we've made it through. We turned 2013, made some lemonade, I will say, yeah. and uh, we're both looking forward to an epic t- 2014. So we hope that's true for uh, all of our fans as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, until you hear from us again, I am Jim Lowe. And I am Robin Warner. Good night or day or what time? Morning. I don't know. Good whatever day it is. Time. Day. Wow. <laughs>